Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Let's pray and we'll get stuck into the word. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are almighty God. Thank you that there is none like you. Thank you that wisdom, revelation belong to you. Father, that which is yours, reveal to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may our hearts be open to receive your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We worship the Holy Spirit for what he does amongst us, opening our hearts and softening us. You notice it takes a bit of a process. Process. Folks, we have much to learn and we have much to seek God for. So we need to be encouraged and continue to to press in on him. I've got a number of things to say. Whether we're going to run out of time, I expect we probably will do, but that doesn't really matter. We're carrying on. I'm carrying on from last week. The subject matter is this, understanding the darkness. Understanding the darkness. What are we about? We are about this. We're trying to understand so that we have the ability to stand up and to fight. We are called to be more than overcomers through Jesus Christ. This morning we have been celebrating the power that is found in the name of Jesus. And yet even in what Colin was saying to us and that encouragement, that spur, that kick up the backside, however you want to feel that, do you notice how it takes us a while to actually start to bring ourselves before God and to throw off the lethargy, to throw off the slumber. We know the stuff that is going on around us, but somehow we're not hot on the trail of it. This is why we're looking at this subject. This is why it's important to understand that. Now, I understand that for some of you, and you might say, oh, this is a heavy subject. And even we can get to the point where people say, listen, listen, We know about the devil, we know that he's powerful, but our God is more powerful. Hallelujah, our God is more powerful. I believe that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. But you know what? There is a naivety, there can be a naivety in us just to go around saying, oh, our God is more important. We're not going to worry about those things. You are at war and you don't even know who you're fighting. How on earth are you going to know how to knock the enemy out if you don't know the weapons to use, you don't know his strategies, you don't know what's attacking you, you don't know what's bringing you down, you're just going to say, well, never mind, I'll carry on and go on next week. It is not enough. This is the time for the church to arise to be the people that they have been called to be. The empowerment of the cross wasn't just that you can come into a service and share bread and wine. The power of the cross is that you may live a transformed life in this world. To see the powers of the kingdom of God coming down into this earth and breaking open the bondages of this earth so that the captives might be set free. That's what we have been called to become. We have been called to become more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who has saved us. He is our Redeemer and our Deliverer. Was in that passage you just read, fear not for I have redeemed you. He has called us by name. So there is purpose in what, in what we're doing here. And yes, although this may be a bit of a heavy subject, 
We intend to try to discover what the strategies of God are that we can be more than conquerors. But we need to understand the darkness and its operation, what is going on around us, what is happening in the world, so that when we know the strategies, we know what we're fighting. We know the reason we're fighting. Why do I need a saviour? Listen, there's no point in going out into the world and saying, you need a saviour unless people know what they can be saved from. You don't know what you're going to be saved from. Well, what do I need a savior for? But when you understand that you are in darkness and that your life is only headed towards an eternity outside of God, you need a savior. And when you find out what this savior is like, he is mighty to save. He is mighty to deliver. And he is worthy of in Ephesians 6, it says this, For our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, last week we were touching on this. We attempted to see last week the beginnings of darkness, where it came from, how Satan sinned in heaven and was thrown out of heaven because he was seeking to make himself like God. He was seeking to take that place. He was cast out of heaven, and God declares there is going to be a day when I am going to judge this sin and the sin of the angels who have followed him. And that day is declared as the day of the Lord. So in history, a day of which we do not know that day, but there has been assigned, as far as God is concerned, a day when the evil that has been done will be dealt with once and forever. That day is the day of the Lord. So we saw that last week. We then saw how Satan coming to earth, he then starts to influence the creation and he tempts Eve and of course Adam himself also ate of that fruit and they became infected with sin, infected with this darkness. And since that day, that institution of sin on the earth, sin has been increasing increasing. And of course we saw that in itself because where we read about having seen Adam and Eve's sin, certainly as you start to turn over the chapters of Genesis, you begin to see the increase of wickedness. Suddenly their son is wrestling, he kills his brother, and then we're having nations being established and people sinning and all sorts of things. And it comes to the point in only Genesis 6, so you get just the beginning of the book and we read this, Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and how every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man, and his heart was full of pain. Why do we confess our sin? Because sin brings pain. And we want relationship. We don't want intimacy. The result of this pain, as far as God was concerned, and because of the wickedness of man, was that he wiped out the whole of the human race and the animals, apart from those that were saved in Noah's ark. Noah, a righteous man and his family, and the animals contained in the ark were the only things that were kept from the flood. Genesis 8 we see God speaking 
to Noah. After the floods had subsided, then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. Interesting that this is a reflection. Here is the same commission being given to Noah at the establishment, the second establishment, just as was given to Adam, to go into all the earth and to increase in number and to fill the earth and subdue it. So the same thing is being declared to Noah. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and, son, and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So we see Noah coming out of the ark and this re-establishment of the beginning of all things. But as he comes out of the ark, he builds an altar. So we've got this amazing picture that suddenly, here's a guy coming out of the ark, he makes a simple altar. He gathers together a few stones, I guess, and he makes a fire and he starts to sacrifice these animals on it. Just a simple offering and yet profound results. Profound results. Just cast your mind back a few weeks. We've got God declaring, because of the sin of man and the increase of wickedness, everything that is happening, my heart is full of pain. I can bear this no longer. God acts and he destroys. And now, this guy is offering a few burnt offerings on an altar. And God says this, never again. Something about this altar touches the very heart of God. Something so simple, and yet it touches the heart of God. We need to understand, and this isn't, we're not going to look at this today, but I'm just sowing this. This is an advert, if you like, about what is coming in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at altars, the power of altars, the strategy of altars, the effect of altars that they have upon the land. I know it's a strange word. I know it's not part of what we understand. We're going to get hold of that and we're going to start to understand the principles of altars. But let's just see at the beginning of this the power that they have. But God, this God who hated wickedness, he turns around and says, okay, never again. Never again. Think if you have done something wrong and it... God is angry with you, or even not us, because we just think, oh, he's not angry with us. We're Christians. We're br brushing it away. What about our nation? Is he not angry with our nation? Is he not angry with the sin? He is angry. But even with all that anger that arises and the pain that it causes to the heart of God, if we can build altars, we can present sacrifices that are acceptable for God. We can get God to say, hey, never again. 
we can get God to move and to be silent. So we're going to have a look at altars, but let's carry on pressing on. Last week we saw about darkness. We saw darkness has power. Darkness can have a grip upon us. It can take hold of us. Steve remembers that bit because it was his shirt that I grabbed hold of at that moment. You see, that's the usefulness of making connections. We saw that when we fall into sin, we get enslaved by darkness and how our hearts can become hardened and spiritually we can become blinded. We can get numbed. Regretfully, folks, this is a reality for us in this room today. We get numbed. The challenge that we face right now is that darkness is actually affecting our lives. The numbing effect. Let me just use an example. Here today, Colin led us in communion, was stirring us so that we start to pray and repent upon some of the sins of the nation and to get stirred in ourselves to see this is a reality that is around us. It takes us a little bit of a while to get warmed up and then you start to feel the Spirit beginning to move because we're making confessions and we're drawing the presence of God and then people really, the truth is, we didn't really want Andrew to leave, did we? We wanted to carry on worshipping. Because you're thinking, like, hey, I'm, I'm getting up for this now. Now, what is happening? You need to understand there is a dynamic that is happening. There's a reality that is happening. Even from what we've experienced this morning, it is the opening of the heart of man to God. You understand there is a dynamic of worship. Worship is not just speaking out words or singing songs. Worship is this, it is when the heart of man, the spirit of man, is coming into the presence of God. And as man starts to worship, he may be lifting his hands on the outside, but he's opening his spirit on the inside. And worship is the spirit of who you are connecting to the living spirit of God. When we worship God, we open our spirits to God and we start to commune with God. That is why you can get to a point in a worship service where you started just by singing a few songs, you know, like, and you're feeling like this. But there's something that's connecting. Our God reigns. He's reigning over every power. His love never fails. And there's something beginning to speak into the depths of your being and you're starting to declare, this is true my God is on the throne. He is more than able to help me. He is the lifter of my head and he is the lover of my soul. And you start to find your spirit opening. And as it opens, you are starting to literally feel connected to God. It starts to change your attitude. It starts to change your thinking. And even if we spend longer and longer, what you find is the God of all gods is starting to speak into your situation. And he might give a word or he might bring a scripture, but he's starting to say something that starts to affect you and you find the personality of your life, the things that you're going through, the struggles. God might be saying in the midst of your struggles, I'm speaking peace this morning. And you feel the weight of the oppression starting to lift off you because your God is starting to commune with you. People, we don't understand or have this enough we go through so many services that are mere religious services when the whole point of man is that he was designed to worship God. 
That's the whole point of who we've been created to be. This longing, this connection is what we need. But you see, our services can become too short or can become too orchestrated or we're not giving ourselves outside of this to that worship. Because let me just say this, when man worships, he opens his spirit. Now hold a second. Let's just go back over that statement. When man worships, he opens his spirit. But what if he's not worshipping God? Who is he opening his spirit Hallelujah. Can you hear what he's doing? So when we go out of here and we start to worship or we start to lust or we start to worship food or we start to worship drink or we start to worship some other form of idolatry, we are opening our spirits up to the darkness. And the darkness comes to abide and to affect our worship. This is why you can go from a worship service, you can go home and think, oh, I'm just going to relax a bit, I need a bit of comfort now. And you're not thinking necessarily about what you're watching, so you just switch the TV on, and you think the TV is an inanimate object, there's no powers of darkness that are attached to it, and you're totally confused, you don't understand, you're simply watching a drama, but in that drama, you are being presented with the things that God does not like. And you find at the end of watching that drama, you are not so hungry for the things of God. Now, it's not that I'm preaching that you should never watch drama on TV. What I am preaching is this, what we worship. When we worship, we're opening our spirit. And we need to watch what we're opening our spirit. Now, you're taking this, I'm taking this on an individual basis. Just hang on a second. Let's just take back a step. You, as individuals, we need to deal with this. And this is why we need to repent. This is why we need to dwell in the presence of God. This is one of the reasons why you need to do what we call our devotions. And people have this idea this is something you do. Do you not understand what devotions are about? It's about drawing the presence of God. If you're not drawing his presence, you are living. We are all living under the cloud of darkness. Last week we were talking about what was revealed in Isaiah. Isaiah 25 verse 7 where he said, over the nations there is a shroud, there's a blanket of darkness. Who is Satan called? He's called the prince of the power of the air. Of course God is greater, but man in his foolishness as he is worshipping, as he gives himself to sin, man is handing authority, man's authority, the God-given authority that man has, he hands it to Satan. And Satan has the power to rule over the earth because of what man has done. Can you see when Adam and Eve sinned? It opened the doorway. But just as there was one Adam, there has been a second who opened another doorway, the doorway of salvation, because Christ is with us. And he has come to set the captives free. He has come to break the chains. He has come to call back a people who've been giving themselves into worship 
of foreign idols. He's come to call them back. Can you not see the picture that there was with the establishment of the people of Israel? How that Israel were a people who were called out. What was the one thing that God said to them? When you go into the land, make sure that you destroy all the people. Make sure you destroy their altars. Make sure you destroy their idols, their Asherah poles. Why? Because God knows that when man worships he opens his spirit to the powers of darkness. God wants a people who are redeemable. He wants a people who can live for him. This is why this subject, if we can understand this subject, we need to start to say, wow. We, we, <laughs> we need to be awakened. We need to stand. You understand what this subject, what this darkness is doing for us? We looked at a few things last week. The challenge, as I said, is that this darkness is affecting our lives today. It is numbing us to the reality of who God is, what his word is saying to us, and it seems to be rendering God's word as ineffective and unproductive in this age. Look at this. We've got to a point where we recognize that we need to be watching and waiting because Christ has instructed us to do so and he is returning soon, but we've actually not bothered with putting that into place. Something has gripped us that we become unconcerned. The word of God says, so you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at any hour when you do not expect it. You must be ready. You know, young kids, when they're told that dad's coming home or he's coming home on the train, he'll be home soon. I can remember it myself as a young boy. We would, my sisters and I would stand at the window and watch. Or when grandma and granddad are coming for a visit, you know, they're coming on Saturday morning, they're going to be here soon. Well, when? They're going to be here soon, says mum. So you think, soon, that's good enough. I'm going to watch. And the kids are just there. We're watching for grandma. When's grandma coming? But you know what grandma figures are like? They have sweets and... There's sort of the softer hug and things like that. Grandmas are lovely, aren't they? Waiting for grandma. Jesus says you should be waiting for me. Waiting for me. Curtains pulled back. Standing. Where is he? Is he coming? Is it today? I'm waiting. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm dressed. I'm ready for Jesus. The truth is, I might as well go and do something else. I've given up. Distraction has come upon us. Our passion for seeing the lost saved, nations discipled, has become frozen. Procrastination has taken hold of us instead of a passion for souls. And yet we know the commission is, therefore go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. The sending, the commissioning, the outward thrust of what we know. And yet even we can stand in this place this morning and say, God, we repent as a people. We have not fulfilled your command. We have become disobedient to your calling. We've missed it. 
How did we miss it? Because we know the truth. I'm not telling us anything that we do not already know. It's in the word. We can quote it. We can show other people where it is. We can say this is what you need to be doing. But you see, what has happened is the darkness has gripped us. It has gripped us and numbed us and nullified us to such an extent that it, it, this power of darkness, yes, the reality of the powers of darkness have so gripped our souls that they have rendered the word of God to us seemingly as nothing. And here's an even worse thing. We're not rising out of our seats and saying, we've had enough of this. This has got to stop. We're just sort of like, yeah. Listen, we need, we need to wake up. God has told us you need to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh yeah, I'm through that. We need to wake up. Tell your neighbor we need to wake up. Turn to your neighbor and tell him. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Can we understand why this is happening? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, their nature was corrupted. The very functioning of the way they were became corrupted. It is literally when you get a virus on your computer, And if you've ever had a virus on your computer, man, it's a nightmare. An absolute nightmare. Stuff starts happening. Your email account usually starts sending the sort of messages that you do not wish to be sent, sending it avidly to everybody in your actual list and things like that. We do not want that. But this is what happened. Adam and Eve became corrupted. Their hearts became corrupted. Their nature became biased towards sin. They found themselves hiding from the presence of God. God comes to the garden and he's looking for them. Adam and Eve, where are you? They are hiding because they're naked. The protection, the glory of God's covering has gone off them. We also have been infected by this character. And our flesh also resists the presence of God. The very thing that we have come in here for there is an enmity working inside of us that is against that. Jesus has overcome. Jesus is our Savior. But you know what? It doesn't just happen all automatically. We have to give ourselves to him. We have to give ourselves. You know it doesn't happen automatically. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting right here. We need to give ourselves. Paul says to Timothy, but you, you, man of God, he says, flee from all this. That's what we've got to behave like. We've got to flee from everything to do with the flesh. The stuff that is corrupting us, the stuff that's infecting us. You know what? If you were to deal with somebody that has an addiction, whether it be to cigarettes or smoking or alcohol or whatever addiction it might be, you know, they start, some people sometimes, well, I, I give that up, and they, they go away from it. And then after a while, they come back to it when pressures build up. And there's a pattern, a pattern of a breaking addiction usually has cycles in it. Eventually, you get to a point where you just say, there is no way I'm going back to that. And it's finally broken. 
We have an addiction to sin, a propensity to sin. Now, Jesus has come to set us free. Now, if we were talking to a person where we're advising them about their addiction, we'd say, right, you've got to stay away from it. It's what Jesus tells us in the Bible, or Paul particularly says, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to it. That's finished. It's over in your life. But we struggle to do that. Paul says to Timothy, look, flee from all of this. Get your mind sorted out. You've got to flee from all unrighteousness. You've got to flee from everything to do with the flesh. He says, flee from all this, pursue, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. See, we're engaging in warfare. We're arising against darkness with the power of God on our side. But we're engaging in a battle. We're fighting the good fight of the faith. We have to take hold of the eternal life to which we were called when we made our good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We have to wake up and we have now to see a life from a different angle. Okay. Have we got time? Sorry, I'm just going to just jump over a few of these points. Let's, um, I just want to just touch on this again. When I was talking about man worshipping and opening himself up, you know, we do that as individuals but we also can do that corporately as a nation. So when you have a people group all starting to act in the same way and have the same behavior patterns, for instance, in the United Kingdom, there are certain things of our culture which are perfectly acceptable but are not godly. But it's what we do as a nation. Some of those things would lead us into idolatry. Some different nations, if you were to go to some uh, countries that are wor literally worshipping idols even today, where they go to Buddhist temples, for instance, they would go there and they would worship. That's part of their culture. The whole nation is caught up in idolatry. There's not just the sins as individuals that we have to deal with. There are sins of nations that we have to deal with. Sins of people groups. Sometimes you get people, uh, you read in the, in the newspapers of crimes that are... And it's not just an individual that has actually done that crime. It's where they've got together with a group. They've been in a gang. And the whole gang has been involved in the crime. Not everybody might have actually held the knife, but there was a, the instigation of that group of people have caused that crime to come to pass. There is a grouping of sin. There's a bigger grouping of sin. And this can happen as individuals come together, small corporate entities, where we sin as corporate people, or where we end up sinning as nations. Sometimes all we're dealing with is just our own individual sins. The church has been called to disciple nations, has called to disciple people groups, corporate bodies. Hence, the church has the power not only to deal with individual sins, but also to break the power of sins that are against nations and against corporate groups. And we need to realize that our calling is not just that we see individuals going on with Jesus Christ, 
people are coming to know Jesus as their personal saviour as individuals. But our job as a church is to see nations being transformed from the sins that they have been walking in. Breaking the powers of darkness that are arrayed against nations. That is also one of the, the things that we need to do. Jesus is our Savior. And the purpose of his salvation was to save individuals from their sin and the wrath that was against them. But it was also to destroy all of the works of the enemy. Our salvation has two components to it. Firstly, it is that fact that we are saved. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. He forgives our sins and he gives us the right to become children of God. In John's Gospel it says, Yet to all who received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. That's what we've been given the right to become. Children of God. And we can live, therefore, as God's children, we can live with the power of God in our lives to have an overcoming power over sin. But if all we take hold of is that, then we're not going to see the kingdom of God come in its fullness. And to a degree, the church of today... This is the only part that they have taken hold of. The second part of our salvation, of what Christ has come for, is to give the church, give us as individuals, but corporately as a church, the authority to break the powers of darkness. Jesus said that he gives all, author all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So the authority that he has, he has given to us and wants us to go out and therefore make disciples. And it also says in Ephesians that his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose. So we have been saved by God to do this work, that as we come together corporately, our task is to see a tearing down of the powers of darkness that hold rule over people, over areas, over nations. The church is, should be on a massive rescue mission. What we've done is we've tended just to go to people and say, well, you need to hear about Jesus. And this is, this is true. People as individuals do need to hear about Jesus. But as churches, we need to rise up and actually learn about the authority that we have to tear down the powers of darkness that are causing people to be held captive in their minds, blinded in their minds, so they can't even see that they need to be saved. So often we're dealing with the fact of saying to people, you need to be saved, but they can't even see or think or understand they need to be saved. And for us to deal with that, we as the church have to deal with the powers of darkness. If we don't, they carry on in their blindness. And this is the sort of the conundrum, this is the situation that the church has got itself in. We don't really know how to deal with these powers. We're not even sure that they exist. 
But that isn't what people say. Oh, yeah, we know that they exist, but we don't do anything about them. We know that we're at war, but we don't fight. And so we become impoverished. We become held captive by the very powers of darkness that we're supposed to be overcoming. They null us. They nullify us. They bring the church into a place of ineffectiveness. And that's not what we have been called to be. We have been called to be more than conquerors. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I love it what it says in the King James. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And in Ephesians, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to take your stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if we were to have a little sort of interaction time here, how many of us know that that scripture, how many of us know that we need to be putting on the armor of God? I guess lots of us are saying yes. Okay, well, will you start telling me exactly what it means and how you're going about using it? Are you making sure that you put that armor on every day? Or do you just think that the devil only fights on a Monday? Do you know how to use it? Do you know what it is? Do you know that the Word of God says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit? It says in Ephesians, and again, I guess this could be an advert because we'll go through this at a little bit more depth at some time in the future. In Ephesians 6, it, carries, it talks about the armor of God. It says in verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not like the Word of God. Can I just say, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. But you know what? When we get out of our Bibles and say, yeah, I've got the sword in my hand, that is not actually absolutely true. Because it gives you the impression, as long as I have a Bible with me, I've got a sword in my hand. That's not true. The sword is the Word of God. The Word of God. So that's actually taking out of here the Scripture, putting them into my mouth and then declaring them. That's taking hold of the sword. But you see, again, we can become deceived. Who's got their sword with them? People can put up their Bibles, amen. But you know what? Unless the Word is living in you and is coming out of you and is being used directively at the enemy, at your point of attack, you haven't got a sword. And believe me, there are many churches, even I would say, I mean, just learning this for myself, we've been walking around without the effectiveness of the sword and the sword is the only piece of attacking armor that we have. We must have the sword. We must have it. Again, let me go back. Look, if you are not daily letting the word of God come into your life, you are basically saying, I do not need a sword. No, no, let's not go into the arguments about, oh, it's legalistic if you say this, that, and the other. Rubbish. What people aren't telling you is, go out unarmed. You won't get hurt. Go and stay in the darkness. It won't have any effect on you. Lies. Lies. 
lives being given to the people of God. We have to have the word in us so that we can have the word coming out of us that is the sword of the spirit that we can do damage to the enemy. Somebody was talking about this at Africamp and he, he was a guy who was in the army and he just, I love this, he said, when you have a sword and you use it, when you start to thrust it at the enemy, even if it's only the point that is just digging in him, you are starting to attack and destroy him. Now, you know, some people, and this gets a bit gory, you can give them a good hacking with a sword, and they're not dying, but they've been chopped up. But there comes a point, and I know it's a certificate 18 part of the actual overall sermon, but you know what? We need to understand this, to realize when we're going to use the sword, we are using it to destroy and attack and render as useless the power of the enemy that is seeking to overcome us. Why? Because we are not about establishing his kingdom. We are about establishing the kingdom of God. Why does it say? It says violent men take hold of the things of the kingdom of God. Because there's a degree of violence that is necessary. Look, we're at war. You know, we're at war. Okay, there's no little sleep, you know. If we were on the front line in Afghanistan, when somebody says you were at war and the bullets start coming over your head, you don't just sort of say like, oh, I don't care. You are alert. You're on full alert. Even if you've just missed out on sleep, even if you're in, in pain, even if you're hungry or whatever, there is a necessity for you to maintain and keep your life. And so you do everything that's necessary. The church is at war. We are at war. We need to take that sword of the Spirit. As you fill yourself up with the Word of God, you have power. If you're feeling nervous, afraid, worried, whether God can help you, you know those sort of things that just come upon you? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm no good. You start to get hold of the word of God and you start to declare, no, I am a child of God. He has called me. The word of God declares that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You start to see how you can even feel as though that's getting stronger. No, greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. I'm standing against the words that are coming uh, uh, against me. For my God has not given me the spirit of fear, but he has given me the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. God is good and all of his ways are good. And I can trust in him. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and he is loving towards all he has made. I have to give myself to scripture. I have to give myself to the filling of these things. I have to cry out to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need the word of God. Make it known to my heart. Let it come to me that I may declare it in this situation so that I may overcome that which is seeking to come against me. We take hold of the word of God and we use it aggressively. And just because you touch swords with somebody doesn't mean that they're dead. Doesn't mean it's like a touch swords, doop, doop, okay, that's that, run away. That's not knocking the enemy out. That's not rendering him as useless. Sometimes we have to enter into armed combat that goes on for some time. Just because we've announced it once doesn't mean that the enemy runs away. The enemy sometimes is full of tactics of itself. All right, you come at me a few times, I'll go a bit quiet. 
And then five minutes later, he comes back with greater revengeance. Think about what happens when you get tempted. Think about the things that you're wrestling with. When you go back during this week, watch what happens when you're coming under attack. Start to see what's going on and recognize we have to take our stand and having done everything, we remain standing, standing firm then. That's the sort of language it uses in Ephesians 6. It's telling you, you've got to take, you've got to stand there. You've got to keep going. We need to keep going. But we don't need to keep going this morning because we've run out of time. So we're going to stop there. I just want to encourage you, don't think that this subject is too heavy for us. Think this subject is bringing awakening to us. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.